0: Dave Fleming, you are from Detroit and you were there in your hometown this spring for an anniversary, for a reunion of sorts. So explain what this event was, what this whole thing was
1: about. Oh my God, Pablo, only in my beloved hockey town. 25 years later to the day, in some remote Nightclub outside of Detroit, could you get a standing room only crowd to watch an old grainy, I swear it was in a VCR <laughs> tape of a regular season hockey game from 1997? Test,
0: test, 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 test. Welcome to night, night. reloaded at the Joe.
1: Listen, I don't even know how many Stanley Cups the Detroit Red Wings have won because there's been so many.
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: But this game that they re-watched recently, Red Wings fans voted it their absolute favorite game of all time.
2: I think this is the greatest moment in Detroit sports history. It's the turning point for the Detroit Red Wings and uh, was one of the happiest days
3: of my life.
0: Yeah, I mean, so a bit of accounting here, the Red Wings, yeah, 11 Stanley Cups. But this thing, this event overshadows all of it. Because the night in question, March 26th, 1997, the thing that you want to pop into a VCR in person, it's better known as what?
1: Well, it has taken on many monikers. I personally like Bloody Wednesday. Oh, but, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. But for the purposes of, of what we're doing today, it really, in hockey legend and lore, it's become known as Fight Night at the Joe.
0: Yeah, Joe Louis Arena, fittingly the venue for a place of truly historic and arguably unparalleled pugilism on ice. And so the guests of honor, as this thing is being shown on a projector, Flam. the guests of honor on stage are who exactly?
1: It's the two heavyweights from the, the, the moment that this rivalry went to a whole nother level. Darren McCarty from the Red Wings... Thank you all for being here. I think that, first of all, holy jeez, 25 years ago, really? Am I the only one? And Claude Lemieux from the Colorado Avalanche. I made sure
2: I had police escort. (laughs) I feel better with it. And
1: part of the reason that he even agreed to do this is that as a Detroit hockey fan, I literally never thought I would see these two even be able to be in the same room together.
0: There was security present, like unironically, for Claude Lemieux at this thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, Claude Lemieux, when he used to visit Detroit as a player, needed police escort and bomb-sniffing dogs. And so I think maybe for nostalgia's sake, they had some escorts for him at this event. But... The first thing Darren McCarty said, he addressed the crowd before they rewatched the game together. And he was like, hey, I know what you guys think of Claude Lemieux, but I need you to give him the benefit of the doubt and stay classy. Please, as if you're in my house, as if you're representing me, keep it respectful, because I think that you're going to learn a lot like I did. The player and the person is different. So the security detail,
0: the need to preemptively de-escalate the mob phlegm, this whole crowd gathering to watch a regular season game from a quarter century ago in the first place here. How do you explain why all of these people are still so invested in this? Like, what was it about the Red Wings and the Avalanche rivalry that is still so intense 25 years later?
1: wings abs to me goes beyond Red Sox Yankees goes beyond Celtics Lakers goes beyond almost anything else in sports I think if you were building or trying to create a sports rivalry in a lab Detroit versus Colorado would be your blueprint because for a an incredible 7 year stretch between 1996 and 2002 the Wings won 3 cups the Avs won 2 which means for 7 years the winner of the Western Conference Finals, that would be essentially the Stanley Cup. And I mean, that takes it to a whole nother level, but then you start to mix in the real, I'm talking about deep-seated hatred and vitriol and violence and anger between media and fan bases and coaches and bus drivers and trainers. (laughs) I mean, it takes this whole thing to a level that, Frankly, we just don't see in sports anymore.
0: You may have heard that the Avalanche beat the Lightning to win the Stanley Cup last night, sending the trophy back to Colorado for the first time since 2001, which is back when this franchise was one half of arguably the bloodiest rivalry in the history of team sports. But what you probably haven't heard is what that blood feud was really like, because it has taken a full 25 years for the principals involved to open up on tape about an evening that is almost unfathomable now. So today, with the help of E60, Dave Fleming takes us back to his hometown to relive the anarchy of Fight Night at the Joe. And we open up a vein. (laughs) I'm Pablo Torre. It is Monday, June 27th. This is ESPN Daily.
3: Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Eligible items only, exclusions apply.
0: Flav, I didn't know that you're a Detroit guy. I didn't know that you're one of those people who very sincerely refer to their birthplace as Hockey Town. So describe for us what the Red Wings specifically mean to the city that you're from
1: well it's it's certainly not called Lionstown or or Pistonsville <laughs> the best way to describe it is it's Bill's Mafia times a million mm. it's one of those perfect marriages between a town and a sport the Red Wings are an original six team. The logo is a wheel, a winged wheel. You've got Gordie Howe, arguably the greatest hockey player of all time.
2: Robitaille, back to Howe. Here's Gordie Howe. He goes.
1: Who, with the production line, won Stanley Cup? After, I mean, they were the Yankees in the 1950s. You can't grow up in Detroit or anywhere, really, in Michigan without being a hockey fan.
0: So how does the birth of this rivalry with the Avalanche in the mid-90s, Flem, fit into all of your nostalgia? Because we're talking about a seven-year stretch where Detroit and Colorado were at the very center of the hockey universe.
1: I should add too, right, that after becoming the Yankees of, of hockey, the wings then went on during my entire childhood a drought of epic proportions. And by the time we get to 1996, this team that's from quote-unquote hockey town had gone 40 years without a Stanley Cup, which is almost unthinkable. I I can't even, I don't even (laughs) like to talk about it, you know? So in 1996, the Red Wings, they have the greatest regular season in NHL history.
3: Really starting to feel greatness, I think,
1: from this
3: team, and they're looking forward to the playoffs. They've been rewarded—61 wins, never done before—and
1: everybody is celebrating because it seems like they're going to win the Cup no matter what. You know, they're already planning the parade. We're already buying our Red Wings merch. It's the drought's over. Four decades is over, and then they run smack dab into the much more physical Colorado avalanche in the 96 playoffs. And so in those
0: playoffs, when does the dream begin to take on the feeling of what ended up being for both sides, occasionally this nightmare?
1: So the Wings had built a team that was always referred to as really pretty, but not gritty They really got exposed when they bumped up against the Avs for the first time in the Western Conference Finals. They go down two games to nothing. Everyone is panicking. And really early in, I think, the first period of Game 3 in Denver, Colorado's Adam Foote goes into the corner from behind to kind of clean up Detroit's Slava Kozlov. And Kozlov senses that he's behind him, slips his check, and then, sort of like in a WWE move, guides his face right into the glass.
3: Lot, Larry, on up and and he's
0: down on the ice.
1: Opening up a huge cut on Adam Foote's forehead that begins to bleed everywhere.
0: It begins to bleed everywhere, and notably, and this is true to the era that we're here to relive. It was not called a penalty.
1: No, no penalty whatsoever. And of course, Adam Foote comes back and scores a goal. But as he's being escorted off the ice, and they're worried about concussions, neck, you know, stitching him up, Claude Lemieux skates over to the stretcher, leans down to Adam Foote and says, "Footy, I'm going to get him.
0: Yeah, so look, Detroit ends up winning this game, game three, six to four, it's the first one of the series, but what that promise
1: involves. I mean, did he get him? Well, when Claude Lemieux says he's going to get him, Claude Lemieux is going to get him. And so literally later in the game, Claude Lemieux, without even trying to, like, pretend or clean it up or make it look good, skates up from behind Kozlov and sucker punches him in the head.
3: Guess who? Claude Lemieux.
1: Pablo, this is when, you know, the rivalry has gone to a whole nother level. And this may be one of my favorite anecdotes in all of the sports that I've ever covered. Claude Lemieux obviously gets kicked out of the game. He's coming out of the arena, right? He's next to his wife. He's holding his infant son in his arms and his father in law is next to him. He walks within 50 feet of the Red Wings bus, which is idling in the parking lot. And Scotty Bowman, the Red Wings coach, leans out the bus window and starts F-bombing Claude Lemieux in front of his father-in-law <laughs> and his infant child.
0: Wait, so Claude Lemieux, you have to refresh our memories here, Flem. What was his reputation at the time of the F-bombings in question?
1: He was one of those guys that if he was on your team, you loved him. If you had to play against him, you hated him. And Red Wings fans certainly thought he was dirty, thought he was cheap, thought he would do really cross the line repeatedly to, to win at any costs.
0: And so this guy who, yeah, had just won the Smythe Trophy the year before, right, playoff MVP, was like hated and also really good. How does he respond to the opposing coach, yeah, carpet F-bombing him?
1: This is great, and this is why we go back and do these stories, right? These deep dive oral histories on these iconic moments in sports history is that after 25 years, even the guys who hate the media and don't like to talk, they'll give it up. And that's really what happened at this game rewatch event in this nightclub outside of Detroit. Claude Lemieux just opened up and told all the details, gave all the goods on all these great stories about this whole rivalry, starting with him trying to take on the entire Red Wings bus.
2: <laughs> I'm walking out of the building with my wife and uh, our son, Brendan. He was a few months old at the time. And so I'm carrying my little boy with my, my wife and her dad, and I'm walking right by the, the Wings bus, and the doors open, and Scotty sticks his head out and starts chirping me.
1: Even as a Red Wings fan, I think this is badass. <laughs> he goes, he hands his infant son off to his wife.
0: <laughs> hold my beer <laughs> slash infant son. Yes. Yes,
1: hold my baby. Goes, and he's like, I'm not going to let the Red Wings chirp me in, outside my own arena in front of my father-in-law, right? What kind of a man would I be?
2: So I uh, handed Brendan over to uh, my father-in-law And uh, I proceed to walk towards the bus and actually put one foot on the, you know, through the door. And I said, you know, you got a problem and you should have seen the bus. (laughs) The whole
1: whole bus. And then he goes, you could feel the bus go. And Claude Lemieux, again, kind of brilliant. He knew that all the tough guys would be in the back of the bus. And that he had between 30 and 40 seconds before he had to get the hell out of there or get killed.
2: (laughs) I knew all the tough guys sat in the back. (laughs) Absolutely. All all the skill the skill guys are always at the front near the coaches and general manager. And the tough guys are in the back drinking beer. (laughs) So I knew I probably had a few minutes.
0: So things are insanely tense. Claude Lemieux gets suspended for game four, but then. We get to game six. And Colorado at this point is up three games to two over the Red Wings. They have the series in front of them to close out. And then what happens?
1: Yeah, they're on the verge of eliminating the greatest regular season team in NHL history. And Claude Lemieux gets suspended for game four. He comes back in game five and admits that he played tentatively because he didn't want to get any more penalties, any more stupid suspensions, his coach, Mark Crawford of the Avalanche, even told him before game six, stop playing like a ballerina. And so early on in game six, and I mean, this is an injury and a dirty hit that will go down in all of sports history. Chris Draper, the Red Wing, has dumped the puck into the Avalanche's zone and he's backing out of the play turns his back to the ice to get to the red wings bench and that's when claude lemieux at full steam coming across the ice decides instead of ending his shift he takes a right turn and plows chris draper into the boards from behind
3: coffee banged it back the other way to draper waiting for his teammates to clear draper's hurt he got leveled by claude lemieux and he is down on the ice
0: and this hit, I mean, I, I watching it back on video now. It is gory in a way that I was not exactly ready for, Flem.
1: It's been 25 years, and to a man, every single person had the same reaction, still just remembering the hit. Remember, between the hockey benches, there is no glass. There's just that top of the boards, mm. which is basically like a curb, a cement curb, And Chris Draper gets hit from behind without time or space to bring his arms up or even move. And the right side of his face hits the top of that dasher board. And what people still remember is the sound, the dry twig snapping sound that Chris Draper's cheek basically shattering against the board. Even Claude Lemieux said, I heard that sound and I knew something. it was bad.
2: If I could have taken it back, I would have taken it back as soon as it happened. I just knew it was not good. And I, I got on the bench, and the rest is history.
0: So in terms of just the medical accounting here, Flam, what did end up happening to Chris Draper?
1: As you've noticed, we've reached the very serious medical portion of the podcast because I've put my glasses on. Because I want to read for you <coughs> the, the list that the Red Wings trainer gave us of Draper's injuries.
0: You ready? Dr. Flem? go ahead.
1: Orbital blow-in fracture, zygomatic arch fracture, which is the prominent bone in the cheek, two paranasal sinus fractures, a broken, broken nose, nose deviated, deviated septum, septum
3: chip fracture off the mandible which is the jaw temporal mandibular joint sprain if you've ever had that that's extremely painful multiple internal external sutures and in a couple of broken teeth
1: john wharton's description the red wings trainer of getting chris draper off the ice and taking him understanding that his spine was okay but that this was a life-threatening injury And by the time he got into the trainer's room, Chris Draper had started to lose consciousness.
3: He passed out literally two feet in front of the medical table. And myself and one of the other EMS uh, personnel was able to absorb his weight and get him to the table uh, where we could get him in a position to be evaluated by the physicians.
1: And the first thing the Red Wings owner, Mike Illich, did when he got to the training room and saw how Chris Draper's, the right side of his face, had an indent, a four-inch indent of the boards. Mm. Mike Illich immediately ordered the team photographer to start taking pictures because he was expecting there to be not just a league suspension, but a criminal prosecution of Claude Lemieux. And in
0: response to this, what does Claude Lemieux say on his own behalf?
1: This is where it really crosses the line, I think in my mind and in the Red Wings' mind. I think people in the heat of the moment, right? If When you slow things down in slow motion, maybe he didn't mean to do that or he didn't mean it to be quite as severe, but it was his absolute lack of remorse afterwards is what really pissed off Detroit and all of Detroit Red Wings hockey fans.
2: I think the the Wings should be furious of the way they've played in the last two years in the playoffs. That's what they should be furious at, not at this hit. I don't think they have to look for any excuses. They should be happy that uh, their player is okay. They should be happy that I got kicked out of the game because they obviously have been dying to
0: get me off the ice. So Claude Lemieux is now the most hated man in Detroit, right? He hospitalizes Chris Draper, he refuses to apologize, he actually insults the Red Wings' playoff performance, instead and on top of all of that and to that point the avalanche do go on to win this series flem which means they knock out a detroit team which again had the best regular season record ever and i can only begin to imagine how much all of that hurts
1: it wasn't the blown opportunity it was the insult to injury that chris draper has got his mouth wired shut for 6 weeks and is on a liquid diet mm. And the whole city and the team has to just stew in it for seven months. So imagine, you can imagine how the town and the fans felt, right? Being inches away from the Stanley Cup after four decades and having it yanked away. On top of that, Chris Draper and Darren McCarty are best friends, right? They are best men at each other's weddings. They're inseparable. They're just a couple of lovable knuckleheads, right? Darren McCarty picks up Chris Draper at the hospital after his surgery to have the titanium plate put in his cheek to hold basically his face together. And as Darren McCarty is checking out Chris Draper from the hospital, the surgeon hands him a pair of wire cutters that look like pliers. And McCarty is like, what are these for? And he goes, well, if drapes, that's what everybody calls Chris Draper, if drapes starts to choke on his food or vomit you're going to have to cut his mouth open so that he doesn't die. Mm. I mean, that's the level that we're at right now. But, you know, after McCarty gets the pliers from the surgeon, the only thing that they ever say, the only exchange they ever have about the whole situation, McCarty turns to Drapes in the car and says, I got this. I got you. And when I asked Darren McCarty what he meant by that, he didn't even hesitate. He was like, I was going to beat Claude Lemieux within an inch of his life.
0: Yeah, Darren McCarty, who is the guy on stage, by the way, at the Fight Night at the Joe rewatch party. And by the way, we've not even gotten, speaking of the levels here, to Fight Night at the Joe yet. (laughs) But Darren McCarty visually, Phleb, like I'm not a hockey nerd like you are, but I see that guy and I'm like, Yeah, don't want to encounter that guy in any alleyway, well lit or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, you talk about just the quintessential Red Wing. Darren McCarty grew up 40 miles from Joe Louis Arena, dreaming of being a Red Wing and basically fought his way to the NHL. And he's on a line, again, you can't get any more Motown than this. He's on a line with drapes that's called the grind line. (laughs) and like i said they're best friends they're just beavis and butthead they're a couple of knuckleheads and it's funny you they're called the grind line which is basically the guys who do all the dirty work right they are the offensive linemen of hockey but in Detroit, that was the highest compliment because what they realized was the high-flying Red Wings could score like crazy. They had Hall of Famers up and down their roster. They had Steve Eiserman, an icon, for their captain.
3: Coffee shot directed front, score! What a shot by Steve Eiserman!
1: But what they really lacked was what the grind line brought, which was that toughness and that grit and that we will literally do anything to win. And so it only elevated, this situation just elevated the grind line and players like Drapes and McCarty to a whole new iconic status in Detroit.
0: Yeah, another one of my favorite recurring themes in this story, beyond there being levels of violence, is that people tend to keep their promises, Fleb. So when does this promise get fulfilled? Because these teams, as you had said earlier, they meet multiple times a year. And so the next season comes along and it's the regular season. And are we getting the promise
1: kept already? Or how does this play out? No, I mean, if you are a Hollywood scriptwriter, right? You are just building the tension and building the tension because they face each other four times in the regular season. The first two times, Claude Lemieux is injured and doesn't play. The third time is in Colorado, where the Avs, it seems like they were keeping Lemieux and McCarty apart. Mm. Talk about building the tension. (laughs) The the, the Avs won all three games. So now it's been almost a year. It's been 300 days. And the Red Wings, who thought they were going to win all these cups, they got their ass kicked by the avalanche, and they can't beat them. And that's the setting for March 26, 1997.
0: All right, Flem, after the break, the puck drops on fight night at the Joe.
1: Ding, ding.
3: Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is, not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more.
0: So, March 26, 1997 has arrived, Flem, and this is the last meeting of the regular season, and it is at Joe Louis Arena in Detroit. And just take us back in time here. What's the atmosphere like as the puck is about to drop?
1: It's just glorious, and it's unlike anything we experience in sports today. Literally, the newspapers in Detroit have put out a wanted poster of Claude Lemieux leading up to the game. At the Avalanche's coach, Mark Crawford tries to go for a jog, but is getting, like, verbally abused by Red Wings fans who recognize him on the street. Claude Lemieux gets a police escort everywhere he goes. And between the two teams now, the gamesmanship is off the charts, right? The Red Wings think that the Avs have shortened their bench <laughs> when they play them in, in Colorado, Wait, you means- mean,
0: like, literally shortened, like, the structure of the bench—
1: Yes. And I mean, there are tape measures brought out because they don't have enough room for their players, right? So they're accusing them of that. Meanwhile, the avalanche, they have been told you got to wear your helmets during the warm up. You don't eat any food that isn't prepared by someone from the team. There are reports of bomb sniffing dogs. Oh, yeah. And it became so frequent that the avalanche were like getting ready while the dogs are sniffing their equipment. Everybody we talked to about the buildup of the game, they just mentioned this thing that it's hard to define, but you you know it when you feel it. And they were like, the minute we walked into Joe Louis Arena, you could feel it. There were 20,000 people in the arena before the warmups even started. The referee was like, it felt like a volcano that was about to erupt. I mean, everybody knew that something was going to happen.
0: And so the guy at the center of this, the guy for whom this volcano is coming. What did he say about all of this pregame?
1: It's interesting because Claude Lemieux, who had been sort of hunted and the hunter for his entire career he was sort of strangely resigned to his fate. I wonder if he actually subconsciously knew that the hit on Draper was dirty and that in the laws, the unwritten laws of the NHL, he had to pay a tab. And I think maybe he was resigned to the fact that his time had run out and and it was coming tonight for him.
0: So the anticipation is also killing me at this point. Uh, So we know the stakes. We know who the target is. We know that revenge is thick in the air. So the puck drops, and how does this thing start?
1: Immediately, there is. There's something in the air, and there are a couple of what Avalanche coach Mark Crawford calls undercard fights.
0: (laughs) The glove goes flying. Severn wanted to go at it. Pusher wasn't sure. Now
1: the rest of the first period goes on pretty much as normal. And I think there's a, about a minute left when Peter Forsberg of the Avalanche and Igor Larionov of, of the Red Wings get tangled up by the Red Wings bench. And nobody really thinks anything of it because these are two of the nicest, l- least violent... <laughs> players, literally in NHL history, I think Darren McCarty said something to the effect of I looked over, I saw those two guys wrestling, and I thought, oh, cute. Puppies on Christmas.
3: (laughs) And on the fireside, we've got a tie-up
2: and it's going to be Peter Forsberg and Eagle
0: Right, Igor Laryanov, right, is nicknamed the professor. Like, this is a dude who is
1: supposed to be above the fray. Exactly. Peter Forsberg took a swipe at Igor Laryanov. It was really that sort of like a lightning bolt moment in the rink. Because the minute Igor Laryanov said, F this, I've had enough, every player on the ice turned and realized all the right people were on the ice at that moment. And it took off from there.
0: (laughs) So where does the free body diagram of this insane brawl, where does the perspective shoot to next?
1: Okay, so Adam Foote, the Avs defenseman who we talked about, who really is really going all the way back to 96, the guy who triggered this whole thing to begin with. Right. And, you know, it's interesting when fights break out in the NHL, what players do is they they pair up right they it's dance partners. you gotta right?
0: find a dance partner yeah exactly
1: it's very you talk about an unwritten rule you pick the dance partner who's your in your same weight class right mm. you you do not go and grab a superstar if you're on the grind line so adam foot recognizes what's happening and he immediately knows that mccarty wants a piece of lemieux he locks up Darren McCarty and is like, nope, not happening on my watch.
0: Okay, so right at this moment where Adam Foote is trying to restrain Darren McCarty, this is where a fact gets reported that I had no idea about and it. it sounds like nobody else had any idea about this either until you guys discovered it.
1: This is one of those moments where you're like, they pay me to do this? It's <laughs> so great as a Red Wings fan to finally understand why brendan shanahan the red wings assistant captain he's in claude lemieux's weight class and with darren mccarty tied up it was always wondered why brendan shanahan didn't just go skate straight toward claude lemieux and take care of business on his own Mm. but after 25 years brendan shanahan revealed to the e60 crew that his deep dark secret and the shame that he carried around for 25 years was that he had actually been teammates with Claude Lemieux in New Jersey and kind of liked him, and they were good <laughs> friends.
0: You appreciated having him on your team. He was going to disrupt the other team. He was going to piss them off. But he had a big heart. Um, I actually really like Claude Lemieux a lot.
1: Claude Lemieux had actually named his son the son from earlier that he had to hand off before he went to go fight the entire Red Wings bus. Oh, my Claude God. Claude Lemieux had named him Brendan <laughs> in Shanny's honor.
0: So, uh, Brendan Shanahan went a quarter century <laughs> not telling anybody this because he knew what it would suggest about his true loyalties.
1: Right, right. But what really triggered the whole thing was Brandon Shanahan's split second decision. Instead of fighting his friend Claude Lemieux, he's gonna break Darren McCarty free from Adam Foote. And that's exactly what happens.
0: And so Lemieux versus McCarty, give us the blow by blow, Flem. What the hell happens at this point?
1: It's almost like it was it was preordained by the hockey gods or the gods of karma, right? Because as Darren McCarty is sort of twisting to get away from Adam Foote, he's now got, and now I'm referencing other podcasts we've done, but he's got now extra rotational torque. Mm. (laughs) He's a natural lefty, but his right hand is free. And as he's spinning, he gains all that momentum and does not also, this is actually kind of dirty. No, it's not kind of dirty, it is dirty. You're supposed to take your gloves off when you fight. Darren McCarty says, screw that. And so now he's got a massive, unencumbered, right roundhouse with the weight of his glove, and he hits Claude Lemieux right in the right temple.
3: And now Darren McCarty gets his shots in at Claude Lemieux. This is what had to happen. My goodness!
0: That sensation of bringing down that specific
1: man—how does how does Darren McCarty describe this now? He's like, when I pulled that right hand back, I had the power of a million Red Wings fans. <laughs> 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 I mean, Darren McCarty knows the role that he's playing. Yes. So when you've thought about something for a long time and you see this face in front of you that just you want to take a shot at, right? And then all of a sudden, that face pops up in front of you, and you don't miss a beat, and you pull back and hit it with everything that you got. Boom. That, my friends, looking somebody in the eyes and hitting them is a cold cock. And it's really strange, too, if you watch the film of this, Claude Lemieux is kind of out of it. He's not engaged in the fight. He just seems to be like, give me my punishment and let's get on with it. And that, that was a bad strategy. <laughs> Claude Lemieux crumbled like a dynamited building right to the ice and did what people would have thought was unfathomable. He turtled like a little baby trying to protect himself.
0: Yeah, the visuals here, I mean, it does recall, like, not a bully, but what happens to a kid who's just trying to make it out of there with as many body parts intact. So when you see this as a Red Wings
1: fan, what what are you thinking? Oh, it's besides just being completely just the most glorious scene you've ever seen, it actually doesn't make the rivalry less. It explodes the rivalry to a whole nother level because – Claude Lemieux cowering, instead of fighting like a hockey player, he cowers and he doesn't fight back. And so it just reaffirms everything that every Red Wing fan (laughs) had ever thought for the last couple of years, that he's a coward and that he can dish it out, but he can't take it. He says that he was basically out on his feet. That first punch hit him in the temple. He's just trying to protect himself. Darren McCarty does not stop. Darren McCarty now has his gloves off He is lifting Claude Lemieux's face off of the ice and now punching him with his left hand, which opens up a huge cut. It starts to soak the ice with blood. And basically, Darren McCarty is just having his way with Claude Lemieux. And Patrick Waugh, the goaltender for the Avalanche, is watching this whole thing unfold from his crease. And at some point, he can't take it anymore. And so Patrick Waugh starts to skate out of his crease to break up the (laughs) fight between Darren McCarty and Claude Lemieux. And so Patrick Waugh, who
0: is not just a Hall of Famer, but maybe the greatest goalie of all time, he is going out there, skating out there to rescue his teammate because no one else can. And he gets intercepted midair in a way that when I watch this, it's like a Jackie Chan movie it's ridiculous
1: brendan shanahan him and adam foote are grabbing each other and laughing at the whole scene <laughs> until brendan shanahan sees patrick Waugh take off brendan shanahan releases adam foote and makes a beeline to intercept patrick Waugh to protect darren mccarty as these two players approach each other at full speed Patrick Wad jumps in the air, (laughs) and so does Brendan Shanahan. I just started charging at Patty, and I wanted to get to Patty before he got to those two. And at the last second, I just saw something in his body where I'm like, he's about to jump.
0: There is no less likely person to jump in the air, for the record here, than a hockey goalie.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, he's wearing, like, what, 50 pounds? What seems like 50 pounds of equipment, and he gets off the ice... And Brendan Shanahan, again, it's like a scene out of Crouching Tiger, right? Yes. They, they collide in midair and spin and land on the ice.
3: And look at who stepped in on Patrick Waugh. Brendan Shanahan. They were flying. They were
1: and Patrick Raw ends up hurting his shoulder in that move. But it's it's one of those things where I think we're at, like, the 10th level now. <laughs> it can't get any more nuts, and it just keeps getting more nuts.
0: It keeps getting more nuts because after this mid-air collision, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon style, we get what I consider the two greatest words in hockey, Fleb. Goalie fight. <laughs> <laughs> Because you need to defend your honor because Mike Vernon, who's the Red Wings goalie, your hometown goalie, he's like, well, now I got to go out there.
1: (laughs) He's watching Pablo. He's watching Patrick Waugh and he's talking to him in his head going, don't do it. Patrick, please don't do it. If you leave your (laughs) net, you're my guy. You're my dance partner. I have to leave my net. I saw Patrick Waugh leave his net. If he leaves, that's my guy. And as soon as he sees the collision, the matrix collision with Shani, Vernon comes out and Patrick Waugh goes right after Mike Vernon.
3: Mike Vernon with a great left, follows up with the right, and look at the goalies go. How about this?
0: Welcome back
3: to old-time hockey.
0: So this is just a renaissance painting at this point of limbs and bodies all crashing into each other. And it feels very important to note here that the first period has not ended yet, right? Like there have been 18 total penalties already, Flem, but there have also been exactly zero ejections somehow. So how does the rest of the game go from there?
1: Oh, yeah. Here's the thing talk about layers right they finally get to the intermission after the first period the second period is 10 times more nuts right there's another i don't know like 78 penalty minutes and five more (laughs) fights and pablo at some point personally this was my favorite moment of fight night at the joe at some point An avalanche player has had all of his equipment on his upper body torn off (laughs) and he's fighting for several minutes shirtless while the DJ at Joe Louis Arena plays. We don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time.
0: So as the arena DJ is serenading what is now just a zombie movie, how does this game end, (laughs) Because I don't really know how this thing could possibly find a resolution befitting what preceded it.
1: The the Red Wings realize, oh, my God, okay, we've avenged Chris Draper, but guess what? We're still losing by two goals, and we still haven't beaten the bully. So the third period really becomes an absolute onslaught by the Red Wings, right, who I think have 30 more shots on goal than the Avalanche. And at some point, Patrick Waugh, who has hurt his rotator cuff in his Matrix, I don't even know how to describe it, Matrix, uh, Crouching Tiger, uh, animated fight with Shanahan. Yes. He shows some signs of being human and gives up two goals in the third period to force overtime.
3: Shanahan now behind the net, looking to the side of Wallace
0: And this is fitting, Flam. It is fitting that the thing that everybody had been waiting months and months and months for, stewing in anticipation for, it's fitting that we get overtime.
1: I mean, it's the perfect ending to the, the perfect culmination to this incredible rivalry. It really couldn't... The way everything else has unfolded, it couldn't end any other way. And, I mean, you can almost guess who becomes the hero in overtime. I mean, it just... It's just like a bow on this whole thing.
0: Yeah, no, this is the grind line coming home to roost in every possible way.
1: It's even better, Pablo, because it's Claude Lemieux coughing up the puck to Brendan Shanahan that starts the Red Wings on a three-on-two break, charging toward Patrick Waugh. Larianov drives the puck up ice, allows McCarty to come to the left... And Shanahan now jumps up into the play. As he reaches the top of the circle, he slaps his stick on the ice, calling for the puck. Larianov slides the puck over to Shanny. And to me, this is the best quote and the most revealing quote for a hockey player. Shanny says, To this day, I can't believe I passed it. (laughs) (laughs) So instead, Shanny does the most Perfectly poetic thing in this instance, and he pushes the puck back across the crease to Darren McCarty, who buries <laughs> it.
0: And it is shown. that play. up. There yeah!
3: The Big The, win. the Colorado. Darren McCarty on a beautiful pass from Brendan Shanahan.
1: Darren McCarty said that was the moment really that the Red wings their dynasty was born he was like there's a moment in every franchise when people really the the fans the coaches the players the opponents they finally start to believe that it's going to happen and Darren McCarty was like that was the moment and it plays out exactly like you would think the wings buoyed by this by this revenge game and by this overtime goal, they 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 get past the avalanche in the conference finals and they sweep the Flyers for their first cup in Hockey Town in 41 years.
0: So Dave, as we stand here now, a quarter century removed from fight night at the Joe, it is clear to me that there is nothing like this. It is clear to me that there is no rivalry that meets the definition, the standard set by avalanche Red Wings. And... I'm a little bummed by that. And I'm I'm wondering how you feel about this historical event clearly being left in the past.
1: I'm with you, right? I I want this to come back.
0: Yeah, I want a reboot. Give me the movie franchise reboot.
1: Absolutely. And I the more that you talk to even just the fringe players in this story, everybody feels the same way. They can't wait for the Red Wings to get better again, so that they can rekindle this rivalry with the avalanche
0: Wait so so we started this whole conversation, I am reminded with Claude Lemieux and Darren McCarty, the two opposite ends of this war, on stage together at this reunion, watching this thing together for the first time. Where are they? In terms of the hatred and the bad blood that animated this entire concept.
1: I think that they're okay. They found some, some common ground. They can stand to be in the room with each other. But I know just like all the other Red Wings fans, when they were standing sort of toe-to-toe and I was like, oh my God, they're going to go. Like, but it's, instead, they sort of reached up to hug each other, Right. Darren McCarty put it really well. He's like, I still hate Claude Lemieux, the hockey player, but I love the man. Mm. And you know what was funny, though? And what I really loved is those two were the exception.
0: The other <laughs> players. <laughs> the levels here again, Flem. the levels to this.
1: Again, right? It wouldn't be wings, abs, rivalry. If the players didn't, even 25 years later, they still can't stand each other. They hate each other.
0: Dave Fleming, thank you for always being an excellent dance partner on ESPN Daily.
1: My pleasure, Pablo. Thanks for having me. I'm gonna go put on my Darren McCarty jersey and hit my Claude Lemieux punching bag.
0: I'm Pablo Torre, this has been ESPN Daily, and the E60 special Unrivaled is streaming right now on ESPN+, Plus, or you can go watch it tonight at 8pm Eastern on ESPN2. And yeah, I'll talk to you tomorrow.